Kia ora Tefano. welcome to the panel with me, Guy and Espiner, in for Wallace Chapman this week. Well, the debate over co-governance has turned ugly in Christchurch, with Māori women banned from entering the debate by a security team which included people in balaclavas and also included the far-right activist Kyle Chapman. The Christchurch Press reported that one woman, Helena Winiata, tried to get into the meeting as an observer but was denied entry, which she believed was because of her pāmoko. Another Māori woman, Teresa Butler, who wears a moko kowai, was also told she could not enter the meeting because she was a Māori activist. Well, let's talk to Dame Susan Devoy now, who is a former Race Relations Commissioner. Good afternoon to you, Dame Susan. Uh, kia ora, go on. What do you make of this story? Uh, <clears throat> I think it's quite disturbing, really, that we're... Um, I mean, everyone's entitled to have their opinion and to uh, have their freedom of speech. And I think if these events are taking place um, around co-governments, then everyone's entitled to to go along and listen, so long as they're not you know, behaving in any threatening manner. And it certainly doesn't uh, appear that that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing debating. It's, a, it's fair enough to debate co-governance and, and what your views are on that and how, how to structure those those relationships. But when you get um, some of the rhetoric that we've seen, because it's not just this meeting, there have been a number of these meetings around the country which have had quite a, an undertone, haven't they? Almost oh, certainly. I mean, they're sort of like an extreme Hobson's pledge group, if, um, if you get my drift, and... Uh, when I hear the name Kyle Chapman uh, mentioned, I mean that raises real alarm bells to me. Um, someone that was involved in a, you know, alt right wing group, a neo Nazi group, who, you know, threatened me in my time as the race relations commissioner. Oh, really? I think that's really, I think that's really concerning. Mm. So, under the current legislation, can any legal action be taken against this person and the organisation that are running these meetings? Not that I would know of. I mean, I would think the police are taking a very uh, active interest. I mean, these are these are how things quickly turn sour. Um, but I think, you know, I think we've got to look at what they're um, what they're debating. And people seem very threatened and frightened by co-governance and don't want to hear the positive sides of it or the other sides of the story. So, uh, I, you know, I just think we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, and it's a bit concerning for our country. Yeah, and these groups who are complaining about being accused of racism and they run the line, we're not racist, but we just say and do a lot of racist things and have far-right neo-Nazi security guards, but everything's fine here for us. We're just asking questions. It should really be enough to let the people who do consider themselves decent who are going along to these meetings to be able to go, oh gosh, if all of our friends are like this, what does that mean about us? How do you see this uh, playing out? Because, I mean, election campaigns always, and I'm not blaming any of the political parties, you know, I, I haven't seen, you know, sort of hyper-sinister behaviour fr- from from them, but it necessarily, it, it, it always raises the temperature, right? Dame Susan, oh. it always raises the temperature, doesn't it, an election, um, election campaign? Oh, most definitely. I mean, all the dog whistle politics come out now. Um, you know, people want to... Um, people want to tell people what they want to hear and these are the types of meetings and organisations that feed off that. So, yeah, I mean, I think 
co-governance is a big issue at the moment. Um, <clears throat> what we're not hearing is the many positive sides to co-governance, you know, and I, you know, I've got a few examples, but um, why are people so threatened? As I read that article in the stuff and it said co-governance is a few more brown faces around the table. I mean, that, that's not threatening. That's not saying that Māori are taking over New Zealand. Um, but the more that we allow people to have these sort of clandestine meetings and preaching to the converted, you know, the more that the eye of people gets, you know, they get more rankled and more worried and, and they start to actually believe it. That's mm. a scary thing. They start to believe it. And then politicians will grab onto that because they want their votes. Mm. Let's talk um, among us all about some solutions. I mean, because banning stuff, you can't ban people from holding the meetings, can you? Can't ban no. people from having views. So no. how do we how do we have better conversations, even when people with people we don't agree with, and try to find some commonality or at least find some civil way to debate these things? Because I, I don't. There's nothing wrong with debating co-governance. We should we should be able to debate stuff. But how do we how do we lift the level of the discourse? Well, I think the the thing is to include people and, as you say, dis- discuss it. And e- excluding these women for the moko is that's just not the way our country is. So, I think they need to explain or try and justify what what their aim is of the meeting to start with. I think that's even muddled, and include everyone and say, is it a public meeting? and just get to the bottom of that. I don't understand what they're trying to achieve at all with these meetings. Yeah, they seem more like exercises in sowing discord than getting any kind of um, free and frank discussion of opinion and ideas uh, involved in them. And it's really sad. It's part of, I think we're going to be talking a bit about misinformation later, but it's the same kind of thing where people find a community where they, you know, aren't too worried about the facts. They're much more worried about all joining together in their feelings and interpretations. And it's a really, really scary situation where there's so many people who are feeling so alienated and scared. And like you say, Dame Susan, like there are fantastic stories of co-governance and of when um, the, the true spirit of partnership has been entered into better outcomes happen. Like in Auckland, you know, if you've enjoyed uh, the Spark Arena, if you've enjoyed walking around Okahu Bay and around um, Mission Bay, and yeah. the, that whole section of Auckland was given back in a treaty settlement to Ngāti Whātua or Oraki and immediately put into co-governance for the use of all. Could and I su- these stories. Could you know? I suggest that the All Blacks are not a bad example of co-governance uh, over, over the years? Um, just finally, Dame Susan, when did you become Race Relations Commissioner again? I can't remember the, the time period. But I'm just wondering how you think how how things ha- have changed or ha- have things got better or worse um, as you look at them now. It mm. sounds like the jobs are poison chalice. Mm. Um, I see we haven't got one at the moment, um, a race relations commissioner. But um, look, the people that have organised these groups meetings have been around for a long time, um, and as I say, everyone's entitled to have their viewpoint and do whatever. I'm just a bit concerned it's a little bit more sinister. You know, when you, they talk about separatism, they talk about apartheid. I mean, they're going down a track that is, that New Zealand's far, far moved from, you know, in the last few years. But I, I don't know why. I think there's just some more divisiveness currently. I don't know whether it's because of COVID. I don't know. Um, but everyone seems to be, yeah, I, I think 
the rhetoric towards anti-Māori and anti the treaty isn't going to go away. Uh, you know, we're a multicultural society, but we haven't yet managed to set, sort out our bicultural foundations. And until we can do that openly and honestly, we're probably not going to move forward. And these types of conversations that these people are having are going to get worse. Thanks very much for your time, Dame Susan Devoy. There was a former Race Relations Commissioner. Let us know your views. He said, hesitantly, um, on that one, or 2101, on the text message, or you can email us at the panel. There's a couple of messages in already. Um, and look, these are, these are probably made in good faith, um, so I will, I will read them out. The, the, the issue is, this listener says, is that we don't know what co-governance means and that no one has explained this. Um, Peter is quite a considered text, actually. He says, I, I support what I think it is, but I don't know, and it would be great if it was explained. And I think that's probably a fair point to some degree. You, you do have to bring people along with this stuff. Um, and um, you know that that was one of the criticisms, wasn't it, of of, mm. of Labour over three waters? Was that they didn't really explain exactly what co-governance was? Um, I mean, something that had been well developed under National, actually. You know, um, especially under Chris Finlayson's stewardship. Yeah. And it's so sad that there is that fear about more elements of Te Ao Māori thinking coming into governance and stewardship. Ideas of you know uh, of, of, of guardianship for multi generational approaches to things can only improve things yeah, and an attitude to like that's what makes New Zealand special and interesting and it's so bleak to have people think that they don't want any more of that in public life yeah let's move now to this story which uh, developed out of Invercargill well it's it's dry July and if you're on the booze free Kaupapa then maybe the deep south should be on the map for a roadie. Kelly Bloomfield opened the alcohol free bottle store Altered States in Invercargill. Or is it just altered, Kelly? It is just altered. Altered States is the company name. Is it? Yeah, it was. A, I think it was. A, I think it was a nineteen seventies uh, sort of cult movie as well, wasn't it? But altered. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. That was. I think it was a slightly different drug involved in that movie. Um, altered in in Vicar was what seven seven months or so ago, and and you've you, you've now expanded it into a booze free bar, have you? Yes, absolutely. It was um, about this time in December um, that we opened, and we had a wee tasting bar set up, and sort of found that people wanted to be able to smell and taste things. Um, so yeah, it sort of it turned itself into a full bar now, and we have work functions and do's and book clubs and and lots of things going on. Cool. And so, what do you sell? What sort of uh, drinks do you sell there? Absolutely everything you can think of that's alcohol free. Um, it still sort of falls under the under the banner of being an alcohol. Um, we've got a huge range of spirits, RTDs, craft beers. Um, wines, ciders, pretty much everything you could think of. The only thing that uh, made my mind trip at that point was RTD, because I thought the whole point of an RTD was the alcohol. I mean, I can kind of get... <laughs> I, can get <laughs> I did not know you could get alcohol-free RTDs. There, there's some absolutely amazing products. There's a couple of New Zealand producers that make um, RTDs that fly out the door. Wow. Um, we, we have Turps & Co, and they're absolutely fantastic. They um, relax your body and mind and make you feel nice. And Ooh. then we have, we have a company called Alter Ego in New Zealand also that make cocktails that give you increased energy and make you feel social. Wow. Gosh, I, I've been looking online, and I see that there's... It, it's been the part of the, you know, the uh, the health and well-being craze. It's sort of been described as in the US, and some of these 
alcohol-free bars have got so sort of exotic that people have been flopping, flopping. That's flopping. what you do at an alcohol bar. Yeah. <laughs> you flop at an alcohol bar. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe flocking you to these, this bar, and they're so exotic that there's been so many people, but they've found in the rubbish tins little little miniature alcohol oh. drinks because people want to just add a bit of vodka or put right. a bit of gin. Oh, Isn't no. that yeah. terrible? Um, how do you see the future <laughs> of your bar? Well, there's absolutely, definitely no chance that there will be actual alcohol included here at any time. Yeah. That I can 100% promise people. Yeah. Um, I'm currently growing the range as, as quickly as I can, finding more New Zealand products and um, hunting out wonderful products from overseas that we don't have access to yet. And, yeah, just, just constantly on the lookout. There's a lot of producers that have traditionally made alcohol and are now looking at making a 0%. That sounds wonderful for you because you don't have to pay your bar license, do you, for to sell alcohol? So it wouldn't be as expensive. And um, is, another question: Have you got an age limit, or is it a full-on family environment? I mean, it's a full-on family environment, and so far as people are welcome to bring their kids in and sit down. I do. Um, I have a lot of mulled products as well, and I often have a hot chocolate just in case kids do come in. But it is. It's an R18 product. Um, I, I, yeah, because... I don't, you, ask yeah. ID. I don't, I don't get younger people coming mm. in sort of looking I'm, for it. I could be wrong. You, you, you might be able to correct me, any of the three of you, but um, you can't buy a Heineken Zero at 17 legally, can you? I don't think no. you can. No, no, no not... Yeah. not. No. Pretty pretty funny thought that you know kids would be sneaking in Heineken zeros to parties and stealing <laughs> yeah, right. a stealing a zero percent Gordons from the fridge or <laughs> yeah. something. Um, it's such a cool thing because uh, we we have a bit at, at work to do with AF Drinks, which is um, mm. one of the kind of market leaders here, and that's mm-hmm. really cool. It's from Lisa King from Eat My Lunch mm. kind of fame, and um, they have a really cool thing, which is a I think they call Afterglow, which is like an extract they put in there. So as you drink it, it kind of burns your throat a little bit and. Your, your gullet, and so it feels like you're poisoning yourself, and it helps to yeah, make which you is feel the like thing, you are right? having yeah. an alcoholic drink, which <laughs> yeah. is really cool. Working with them a bit, like it's really cool that you're doing things like this because mm. it's that sense of abundance. I think a lot of people, when they think, "Oh, what if I drink a bit less or, or, or change mm. up my patterns of drinking? Will I miss out on fun? Will it be lesser?" Mm. And having places that are like mm. celebrating all of the cool things yeah. happening I mean, in the space is so cool. It's a bit like being so a cool. vegetarian in New Zealand while well, in Christchurch in the 1990s, yeah. which I had some experience with. And they just bring you a, uh, basically a lettuce, you know. So, so, and it was like that for non-drinkers for a while. I, I don't. I have to clear my conflict of interest. I, I'm. I don't. I don't drink alcohol. Mm. But so to go to a place where it's your only option is is water. It's like just yeah. Oh, you're you, you're not out to have any fun at all. Yeah, you know. I, I think mm. some people. But quite that's right. changing with 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 bars like Kelly's one, right? Yeah, and and some people quite rightly ask, you know, why. Why would I spend kind of alcohol prices on a non-alcoholic thing when they're buying, you know, one of those brands from the supermarket? But part of it's about when someone comes to a party, you know, if you've bought alcoholic beverages and then you're buying something that's as good and as special for the people that don't drink, it's like buying veggie sausages and sausage yeah. sausages. Like you're you're actually just yeah. catering for two choices and not going. You can have the mixer instead of the yeah. full drink. But you then the same the, the same thing happens as as to vegetarians at a barbecue. All mm. the meat eaters want to eat your vegetarian sausages. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I I'm uh, well. I'd like to see that. I'm a bit sceptical. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Kelly, um, thinking of women in bars and drunk men, and it's like, oh, um, <laughs> are you noticing at all that women feel a bit more, uh, there's a bit more equality as such, a bit more of an even playing field? Oh, you won't well, I get think roped as much? Probably to a degree. People do feel quite a bit safer in the fact that yeah, things like that aren't going to happen. Um, but like a huge majority, like a huge percentage of my customers are males as well, and so that uh, I wonder if they sit and hope that they're not going to get got a woman in my bath. <laughs> <laughs> what about? What, I just want to finish with this because um, you know this is the home of the, the Southern Man, the Spate Southern Man, and all that, isn't it? How, how mm-hmm. did you? Um, how, how was the analysis thinking? Oh, I'm going to set up an alcohol-free bar in Invercargill. Um, it was. Um, Almost like a an absolute win. I wanted access to alcohol-free products myself, and I kept thinking, uh. any day now, somebody will open a store. And I thought about it, and I bought a bottle of Turks & Co. Rum Esque, and I had one drink, and that was it. Is that right? I, yep, registered a company the next day, and I think we were open within 21 days of that. Why did you do it initially? What sparked it? Just frustration at knowing that there was an absolute plethora of really fantastic alcohol-free products and just having absolutely no access to them whatsoever. Um, We don't, we have um, a trust down here, so we don't have alcohol in supermarkets. Um, Oh, you've got the licensing trust model, yeah, that's in parts of uh, West Auckland and in Wellington where you... You have to have, uh, they were formerly dry areas, weren't they, but they're allowed to sell it if they put their money to charity, yeah. Yes, absolutely, and that and so we have that here. So we don't have we don't have booze in the supermarkets, and so what is alcohol free in the supermarkets is also incredibly limited. And mm. I just like I wanted to be able to try things and and smell them and taste them and and I don't know just, just for the, the uh, shop just, on yeah just for the sober curious. Can you end with um, two or three of your top sort of top sort of hits shots drinks? You don't have to do a brand promotion, but you know what? 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 What do you? What? What can people get into if they're, if they're sober curious? If they're sober curious, I absolutely recommend Brothers Beer Fill Your Boots. It's a non-alcoholic IPA, which is absolutely fantastic. The Geese and Wines Zero range is just absolutely incredible. They've got a huge range as well as the Aras. Um, Brunswick Aces make a whole bunch of beautiful sapirs, which are like botanical gins. Oh, I couldn't even so cool. to stop. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Hey, thank you so much. Um, it's really cool to talk to you this afternoon. Um, thanks, Kelly. Kelly Bromfield there um, with her alcohol-free bottle store, Altered, which has done so well. That, interesting. Um, hey, hey guy on, um, speaking of Brothers Beer, I know there's one of their bars not far from us here, the studio. Oh, yeah, and, um, so maybe we could go there and um, we could try some, I could try the... Low percent, and you could try the non-alcohol. I, I find it interesting just to compare Your the show. taste. Okay. I like beer yeah. um, to see the difference, and there isn't actually much difference at all. It's cool, isn't it, that, that, mm. that people are, are experimenting and getting into uh, so many different aspects of that.
Let's talk about these stockpiled rat tests because it's a pretty interesting story this morning. So these uh, rat tests or rapid antigen tests, you remember that phrase from the depths of the COVID despair, um, getting lots of shaking uh, heads, nodding heads in the studio here. Um, uh, we've got about half a billion dollars worth. So this is equivalent to half the yearly Farm Act budget have been stockpiled by the government. It's now facing allegations of gross mismanagement and waste given that about 30% of these tests will expire by the end of the month. Aisha Verrill, the health minister, is defending the spending, saying the tests were purchased during the huge uncertainty and fear that existed in the height of the pandemic and that the government needed to make sure everyone had access to these rapid antigen tests in order to keep safe. But ACT Party health spokesperson Brooke Van Velden, who got the information from parliamentary written questions, has described it as mind-boggling mismanagement and said it could have been avoided if the government had allowed private companies to import these rat tests from the start. What do you reckon, Simon? And this is a case, I suppose it's a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't. In some ways, remember the argument at the time was, oh, my God, we haven't got rat tests and everyone was, like, freaking out about that. And then (coughs) when are we going to get them? Where can we we get them from? And (laughs) now we've got well too many by the time. Yeah, 100% damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, you know, if they hadn't had enough, it would be a disaster. And it's lovely to say, oh, well, the private company should have done it. But at the time those contracts were going through, only governments were able to actually secure enough of what was needed. And so it feels like it's a case of someone trying to make some political hay mm. out of something that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a state of life. We, we borrowed them from Spain at one point, didn't we? Was, didn't we get we, we got a deal with them? We were really struggling to get them. I suppose it is a bit um, rearview mirror stuff in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. I think it is. Uh, I think that they needed to do it, but I think they could have kept the public and politicians more fully informed of what they were doing and why they were doing it at the time, rather than now the knee-jerk, ah, and so the ACT parties got hold of it. Because as everybody says, what happened if we did have another huge outbreak? Oh my goodness, there'd be... I suppose there's, there's that, and I have some sympathy for that argument. But then there's the 60 million tests, yeah. half a billion. I mean, maybe they did go a bit hard in well, the end. I they, mean, that seems, especially if 30 percent of them are going to expire. I mean, yeah, the, the management comes into seeing that they're going to expire and getting them out into the community and letting people use them as yeah. you know. Where's the drop-in centres to go and pick yeah, them up if fair. they know they're about to um, about to go? Yeah, exactly. All right, we better get to the headlines and then we'll come back with some of your feedback and the power ballot, which I get to choose on the Friday, which is my, um, which is my big highlight of, of the week.